you guys need more Ramsey in your life. So I will never really understand why more people don't give Ramsey a shot. I mean, I've spoken about this before. I know you guys are all infatuated of Roos because you like control and everything. But frankly, I just like killing stuff. And I like killing stuff in an efficient manner. And Ramsey's really good at that. Probably one of the most combat-focused and aggressive commanders you can possibly take. And I just really like that playstyle. So today I'm going to be running a list with Ramsey featuring the Night's Watch. And this has actually become my current favorite list based on just, you know, available options right now, currently released at retail, and features the uh, a couple new things that have come out. So that's why I'm going to talk about this today. Let's go over the list, and we'll go over each individual unit and why it is included and why this list is just a lot of fun to play and why it is so kick-ass. So we start with a unit of Sworn Brothers led with, by Ramsey Snow, the Bastard of Bolton. He comes with Theon Greyjoy for free. We have a unit of Vanilla Sworn Brothers. We have a unit of Ranger Hunters led by Roose Bolton, the Leech Lord. A Vanilla unit of Bastards Girls. Oh, it breaks my heart that they're Vanilla. Two Scorpion Builder Crews. And our, for our non-combat characters, we have Craster, Ally, Convenience, and Bowen Marsh, the first steward. Um, so the first thing to note here is we are running Night's Watch. Uh, that means we're going to have large amount of Val mechanics, which is going to be fun because we have one, two, three units of our uh, six combat units that actually don't really make the best use of those. Uh, so that's something I want to get out of your head immediately, is that this is not going to play like a lot of traditional Night's Watch lists. Um, the other thing you'll notice is that there is a cripplingly small amount of healing in this list, because, man, everyone out there just loves running John and Eamon and, you know, healing everything back from the dead, which is a f nice play style for the Night's Watch, and it's something they focus on. This list ain't that. This list is all about dealing raw damage. So let's look into the tactics cards here and go over why that is. So we have the generic Night's Watch tactics cards. Take the black, you know, when you destroy a unit, you can heal your guy up, you can take attachments, whatever. Uh, Sword in the Darkness. Uh, when you attack, the defender becomes vulnerable. Vow, uh, vow effect, if you control the combat zone, then your melee attack gets plus two dice. Generally, all around good. Applying the vulnerable is great because we are going combat heavy with this list. We're going to deal as much damage as we possibly can, as fast as we can. So this is great. Uh, I'm gonna say this again and just stress it. Vows are great, uh, if you're running a Night's Watch list that is pure Night's Watch and focused on one of their primary commanders, especially Jor or Jon, then that's going to be, you know, a primary thing of your list is going to know how to man uh, manipulate your vows and get the best bang for your buck out of them. Here, the vow effect is by far secondary compared to a lot of your other effects and cards that you have. So don't become overly reliant on them. They are just icing on the cake. Sword in the Darkness is a great card, though, because it's giving vulnerable, which is something we want for combat. Uh, and now his watch has ended. This card here is going to be probably one of the more situational cards in here um, because it's requiring our units to be destroyed. And while that is probably going to happen, it's not something we ever want to happen, but still nice. Watcher on the Wall. This is one of my favorite cards in the deck for this army. Uh, when a friendly unit is attacked, one other friendly unit makes free maneuver or march action. This army is actually requires a large, large number of positioning, but has a surprisingly large amount of mobility to it as well. And it doesn't look like that on paper, but I will get to that when we speak about the individual units. But the Watcher on the Wall might be one of my favorite cards from the Night's Watch, and for this specific army, it is a linchpin card. Fire that burns against the cold. Okay, you're canceling condition tokens. That's always a nice like thing to have. 
Not really relevant to our strategy, though. Just nice if it comes up. The Horn That Wakes the Sleepers. This one gets additional tactics cards and is one of the most important cards for the deck because Ramsey's tactics cards are just incredibly good and they're really what brings all this plan together. So getting more tactics cards is going to be one of the things we're going to be primarily focusing on. This card helps us get through our deck. Shield of the Realms of Men helps us stay alive. It's just generically good. It doesn't really have any major pros and cons you know, in this list. It's just a good card. So, you know, it's nice. Not really a backbone or anything. We don't have any units that we're really, oh my god, trying to keep alive. But this is still a nice card just to ke uh, help keep our guys in the fight. Now we're getting to Ramsey's specific cards, and this is where a lot of our key strategies are going to come up. And I'm going to mention a lot of these more when we talk about the individual units, but going over them right quick, we have Our Blades Are Sharp. Potentially the best offensive card in the game. When a friendly unit attacks with melee, if targeting a panicked enemy, the attack gains plus one to hit and rolls plus two dice. If it's a house Bolton unit, the defender also becomes vulnerable. So combining this with the Sword in the Darkness, we have four cards in our deck that are going to contribute vulnerable to the enemy. Uh, that alone is great. But here, we're also getting a plus one to hit and roll plus two dice. With the lethality of the Night's Watch units that we have for melee here, that means every single thing we target with this is going to be hitting on a two plus and rolling upwards of nine plus dice, assuming they're at full ranks. Even if they're not though, we have a host of nasty card effects and weapon abilities that really make this just a lethal, lethal card. And yes, it requires us to target a panicked enemy, but we've got ways to make that happen, both from just Ramsey, but also some tactical plays that we're going to talk about later. Cruel Methods. This right here is going to be your game changer card. This is the single most important card in your tactics deck. You need to know how to play this card. You need to know when to use this card to its proper effect. If you're playing against this army, you need to know when to cancel this card. I guess if you're playing Lannister. If you're playing someone else, you need to be able to anticipate this card. This is going to be the one that changes the flow of gameplay. And this is at the start of the round. You target one friendly unit, and it makes a free attack action. If it doesn't destroy an enemy, it suffers a panic test at a minus three to their roll. If it's a House Bolton unit, it may use its highest value attack die and may reroll any misses. This is an insanely good card for the Bastards girls because it allows them to get a free charge off at the start of the round. This is mainly going to be used to target our Scorpion Builder crews, though, because it's going to give them a free shot at the start of the round. They don't ever take morale tests of any kind, so they are immune to any of the negative effects to this card. Um, we'll get to that more when we're talking about them specifically. Sadistic Games. Start of a friendly turn. Your opponent chooses one of the following effects. Uh, up to two of their, you choose two of their units, they become panicked. Or an enemy combat unit suffers D3 plus two automatic hits. If you listen to any of my other Ramsey Snow um, talks before, you absolutely know that if you're playing against him, you should probably take the hits. The problem is that's not always going to be an option for you because you're going to be, you know, suffering one of your own units if it's something like a dire wolf or something with low hp you're running the risk of it dying outright so uh this is meant to be a bad choice card if you are playing this card then it just depends on what your opponent does more panic tokens out there are great for you uh given the other combat potential that the rest of your units have you usually have means to mitigate armor touching enemies morale is usually going to be your weak point this is going to help mitigate that uh and automatic hits are just always good you know because dealing automatic hits is just dealing extra damage, right? So there we go. Let's get into the individual units here and really get into the deep reasons as to why I like this list. So starting off, we have a, the Unit of Sworn Brothers of Ramsey Snow. This is just a place to stick our commander that is a really just nasty tar pit. Uh, sorry, not tar pit, but a really just nasty unit that 
if they want to go after Ramsey to shut him down, they're going to suffer for it. He is giving them the House Bolton affiliation, so that means it's going to trigger a lot of his bonus effects on his cards. But Sworn Brothers by themselves are in generally pretty nasty. So because they're House Bolton, they're now going to benefit from Our Blades Are Sharps bonus, which means that they're going to make the enemy vulnerable. They're going to be hitting on 2+, rolling upwards of 9 attack dice with Sundering and Critical Blow built in. In addition to this, if they fail a panic test, Ramsey's going to trigger and force someone else to make a panic test. Okay, they don't have Vicious or any means of triggering that on their own, but still, that's fine because Ramsey comes with Reek. Reek throws down a panic counter every turn, assuming you don't accidentally beat his ass to death. And even if you do, you're still going to get one shot out of it. So you've got ways to spread panic through the army, utilizing Reek and Ramsey. So Ramsey is not contributing the most to this unit specifically, aside from the House Bolton affiliation and the fact that he's your commander, so he's in there for free. The panic test is really nice, but it's nothing that's directly benefiting the unit. So really, we're just taking him and we're sticking him in a unit where he'll probably be safe. And we want an offensive unit so we can really benefit from his offensive nature and his cards, which is why we're not sticking him in a unit like veterans. There's no veterans in the list because they're fairly defensive-based. And while they've got counterattack, they're not really contributing the raw offense that this list wants to uh, convey. And we don't really need the defense because we should make every one of our units a big threat to the enemy that they really have to deal with it. Or if they try to ignore them, then we're just going to come up and roll them and just beat the hell out of them. So that's why I'm not running any veterans in this list because they're just too defensive for the raw offensive style nature of this list. We're running a second unit of Sworn Brothers in here. Uh, I would love to have points for an attachment, but I just don't. Uh, Night's Watch issues, you know, everything you have is it's expensive, and even though we are cutting corners here by running some fairly cheap and vanilla options here, it's a matter of the, uh, the numbers game. We're running 50 points here, so we need to maintain a certain level of activations and NCUs and things like that, so... You know, if I could have the points for an attachment round, they would probably get a Dreadfort Captain somewhere in there just to help spreading out panic, but we don't have those points, and literally we just don't have them to spare anywhere. Um theoretically we could get those points if we took out Roos from the Hunters and we added in, say, Braum, and then we had a points over for Dreadfort Captain. But that's going to change up the dynamic of this list, and while that's another viable option, and I have run that one several times, I feel I like this one a little bit more. And one of the reasons for that is talking about our next unit, which is a unit of Ranger Hunters with Roos Bolton, the Leech Lord. This is a staggeringly expensive 11-point unit, and on paper you're like, uh, it doesn't seem that great, but... Uh, in practicality, this unit is terrifying and just devastating if you learn how to use them properly. And that is really the important part about this. And Ranger Hunters in general, I mean, I've got an entire uh, podcast devoted to talking just about these guys because they are one of my favorite units in the game uh, and probably my favorite Nightwatch unit because the amount of tactical versatility they bring to the tabletop is just absolutely immense. But you have to know how to use these guys properly. You have to, have to, have to know how to make them work and you're only going to get that by playing them on paper you're just going to see a bunch of things like eh, a short range bow and they can retreat whatever if you have your positioning game down and you know how to maneuver across the battlefield these guys are just a giant wrecking ball that will just absolutely cause no small amount of frustration to your opponent and these guys here will single-handedly win you games if you learn how to utilize them so let's talk briefly why i like these guys so much well they're a jack-of-all-trades unit. They've got a giant movement of six. Their defense is absolutely garbage, but frankly, we've got enough healing in the list um, to mitigate that, but really, we shouldn't be taking that much damage to these guys to begin with. They have 
a short bow and a melee attack with the same attack profile, 765, hitting on threes, both of them. Short bow is only short range. Something to note about that is that really you're going to want to be charging these guys as much as you can, but that short bow is in case you come across a threat that you really don't want to get stuck down or engage, or if you just have the opportunity to you know, throw some little shots off there. Um, Cruel Methods gives you some opportunities to do that, and it's just one of the... Uh, the things to note like okay you've got a short bow option but don't think that these guys are primarily a range unit they are not these guys are a melee unit that happens to have a range option uh swift strike after this unit uh sorry after the attack is completed the unit may perform a free retreat action i'm not going to get into the whole tactics of these guys again i've got a whole podcast just go listen to that on these but basically you're going to be charging into units you're going to be then retreating off to the flanks or pulling back to counter charge back in Opportunist is their last ability. It's going to let them reroll any misses uh, if the enemy hasn't activated this round, which means that, you know, uh, the activation order is going to matter. But really, it makes Cruel Methods an amazing card of these guys because it activates at the start of the round before anything else. So you're always going to be able to trigger that Opportunist ability with these guys, which means you're always going to get rerolls. So even if you, as your last activation, charge in with them, deal some damage, and then retreat to a flank. If the opponent doesn't turn to face you after that, then you can play Cruel Methods at the start of the round, shoot them in the flank with those seven dice, triggering that Opportunist, getting some rerolls, giving them the minus one to the panic test and the armor due to the flank shots. And yeah, you're going to suffer a panic test of minus three if you don't destroy them, but they've got a base morale of six. So, okay, yeah, it's going to be an, you're going to need an average of nine to not suffer any wounds. But your average roll is 7, so on average you'll use around 2. But all of that is mitigated by the fact that you have Roos Bolton in the unit, which is uh, gives you two very important abilities and the house affiliation of House Bolton on top of that to trigger all your other effects. He gives you Ferocious Assault, which is when you charge, the enemy becomes panicked. These guys charge in, panic an enemy, deal a bunch of damage, get their charge rerolls because they're faster and everything, get back out of combat, charge back in, make them panicked again. It's a very vicious cycle. They also prey on fear, which is anytime an engaged enemy fails a panic test, which, guess what, you're causing them to become panicked, you can restore up to two wounds. So the squishy unit can keep in the fight with Roos Bolton because they've got a constant source of healing, a constant source of giving out panic. Their positioning should already keep them safe. It's just a great combination. I mean, I love everything that this unit does. Um, and as I said before, they benefit immensely from cruel methods. They also benefit very well from our blades are sharp because if they're on the charge, they're always going to be able to trigger this. Now, what that does with them is going to make them hit on two plus rolling nine dice with rerolls against a vulnerable and panicked enemy. That's a just an insane amount of damage that you can put out with these guys. And this is assuming they just do a full frontal charge and not come in from the flanks or something. Uh, this is a devastating unit. Um, devastating. So, you know, absolutely love it. The next one we have is a vanilla unit of Bastards Girls. And frankly, if there's any unit that I would love to find the points to stick an attachment somewhere in, it would be these gals. Because while I like them vanilla, I mean, you stick Braum or some other options that will be out at some point with them, they become really devastating. Now, the thing is, if you decide to take Roos out of the list, then you can take Braum. I would still stick him in the Ranger Hunters over the Bastards Girls. But really, that's your choice there, because the Bastards Girls can benefit um, probably more from his um, worth, the, uh, worth the reward, or whatever that ability is called. Gives them plus two dice uh, when you control the wealth zone, plus two to morale checks, and plus one speed, because they're going to make two attacks a turn. 
the reason we're taking the Bastards girls in this list is because, for one, it's a House Bolton unit. And, you know, just baseline, we don't have to stick anything in them to make them that. And it's going to help us with the mobility aspect of this army. So them combined with the Ranger Hunters, we have two units that are able to just zip-zag across the battlefield and really get into the positions we need to. And that's important because the rest of our army is a very solid kind of anvil in the center of the battlefield with the two Sworn Brother units and the two Builder Scorpion crews. But we don't have a large amount of mobility outside of those two units, so they kind of cover a lot of their bases. And I know that sounds contradictory, because I said earlier this list actually has a surprising amount of mobility, but it does. And it, the key point there was surprising amount, not overwhelming amount. <laughs> because you have two highly mobile units with the Bastards Girls and the Ranger Hunters, but also built-in mobility coming from the Watcher on the Wall card. And the Watcher on the Wall card synergizes well with basically... Every unit in this army, it synergizes the least with the Sworn Brothers because they don't really need to move around a lot, but the Ranger Hunters, it helps them get into positions so they can charge in, retreat. The Bastards Girls, it helps them get into positions so they can shoot with their long-range bows, charge in. The Builder Scorpion crews benefit from that card immensely because they're going to need to be moved across the battlefield and get into a position. But once they're in a position, they can just rain down a you know hellfire on the enemy and just absolutely start wrecking units. If they get into the flank, then your opponent is going to have to deal with them. Otherwise, they're just going to start losing units left and right. So, and this this can be a card that very you know uh, is very easy to surprise the opponent to get them into position. Uh, a good combination of cards is toward the end of the round, you know, when you're attacked, you hit them with Watcher on the Wall, get them into a flank position, then the start of the next round you hit a Cruel Methods, giving them a free attack action. So they can shoot something in the flank, scoring upwards of nine hits with a minus two to defense save. That's just cruel method. So say you're going first in that round, you then unload another volley into them, potentially causing up to 18 hits with a minus two to defense save and a minus two or a minus two to the defense save total, and then a minus one to any panic check units you shot. There is nothing in the game that can really weather that type of punishment and come out okay. Period. So. That's, you know, segueing right into the Builder Scorpion crews. These are a very solid foundation to creating a, an anvil in your army. These guys can be moved up on the flanks if your opponent doesn't have anything that's fast that can get to them. And even if they do, you can protect them with the Ranger Hunters and the Bastards Girls. If they have a lot of fast units that you're worried about, these guys can just kind of get moved up behind your Sworn Brothers who are going to go and engage and then start just shooting into combat, shooting into some volleys there and just unleashing hell into the enemy because your guys have above average morale so you know okay yeah they can take the test and plus you've got healing effects that can help these guys the scorpion crews though really synergize with a lot of the cards in your deck well okay i take that back not a lot but enough to really make them scary uh Again, Watching the Wall being one of the fantastic cards for them. Cruel Methods, though, being the real big sleeper hit. I really can't underst uh, overstate enough, understate, overstate, whichever one of those is appropriate, uh, with these guys, that if these guys move up at the end of the round, just get them into position, you know, into a flank, and then next round you hit a Cruel Methods, that's upwards of nine hits at Sundering just by itself. If you're hitting the flank, it's going to be a minus two. If you play it correctly where you're going first that round, you're going to get two volleys of shots off. This isn't a seven-point unit, so these guys are just going to be able to just wreck face against most things. There are, again, I, I really can't stress enough, there are precious few units that can take 18 hits with minus two to defense saves and come out okay. You're going to start wiping units of these guys, and if the opponent comes to try to engage them, then if they're on the flank, 
then they're having to go out of their way to do so. And if they, if you position them in the center of the army, they're going to have to mow through some Soren brothers to actually get to them. And in addition to this, you should have your unit of ranger trackers and your unit of bastards girls who are counter-positioning themselves to really make just your opponent have a bunch of bad decisions. What do they want to go after, and how many resources are they going to vote to actually make that happen? Uh, this this list in general is all about just creating bad choices for your opponent because every unit in this army is so deadly. There is nothing here that cannot just swing a game on its own with the amount of raw damage it puts out. I mean, your weakest unit that you have in this list is a unit of Vanilla Sword Brothers, uh, Sworn Brothers, and that's still a unit that has Sundering and Critical Blow and hits on a 3+. That's your least scary unit that you have, so take that in for a second. All right, looking at non-combat units. I know when people hit 50 points, they have this weird urge to start taking three NCUs. In some lists, that's fine, but really we need the combat units here, and there's nothing I would take out and replace of any uh, of the available NCUs for the Night's Watch or the neutral ones right now. We have two cheap options here because everything in our list is pretty expensive and we really are struggling for points. We have Craster, Ally of Convenience. Uh, when he claims his own the tactics board, you can replace the effect with Draw Tactics card and restore up to two wounds to a friendly combat unit. This is nice because it allows us to play around with the little amount of vows that we really care about so we can start taking zones, replacing their effects with whatever we need to. But more importantly, we're still gonna draw tactics cards. This uh, list is very reliant on the tactics cards that we have and to to pull out some really sick combos. Craster is gonna give us more options here. The healing part is really nice, but you'll note that in this list, okay, we've got two, two units of Builder Scorpion crews that if they're ever gonna get in combat, we can almost write them off as dead, so healing them up is almost going to be a waste. The Bastards girls don't lose any attack dice until their last rank, and if they get down that far, they're probably dead to begin with. The Ranger Hunters have built-in uh, healing on their own, so stacking up Craster's okay, but they have a method of healing themselves. So that leaves the Sworn Brothers to really be our big target of healing, and that's probably where a lot of it's going to go to anyway, because they are going to suffer the most damage. So it's nice to have, but it's really the effect that we can always, at least you know, if we need to, replace his own, get our tactics card, and heal a little bit. Ideally, though, with him, we're going to want to take the um, the tactics zone itself to get the two tactics cards and the condition token, or the combat zone, maneuver zone, is always useful as well. I really don't care about a lot of counterplay with this army because the ones that we would want to block from our opponent that we don't benefit the most from would, say, be the crown zone. Well, if Crown Zone is mainly going to be Lannisters, and yeah, they're going to zap us, but okay, two Builder Scorpion crews who are immune to morale. Bastards Girls who have a 5+, Ranger Hunters who have a 6+, and Swarm Brothers who all have a 6+. Congrats, okay? They want to spend their activation and take the Crown Zone versus any of the other zones. Our army is kind of resilient to that to begin with, so I don't really care. Now, as far as the Wealth Zone, for my opponent healing themselves up, you'll find a lot of opponents against the Watch are going to just kind of... Um, Twitch response, take the Wealth Zone, because they're so used to playing against lists with Eamon and John, who just abuse healing a lot. This list isn't one of those, so if they want to take, you know, the Wealth Zone to start healing their own guys up, but more so to try to deny it from you, let them, because that's actually the zone that we probably care the least about on the board. Well, actually, I'm sorry, the Crown Zone is the one we care the least about, but Wealth is actually pretty close on that, because we've got other ways of healing. Our next NCU is Bowen Marsh. Uh, when he claims his own, we can look at the top two deck, uh, cards of our tactics deck. We get one of those cards for free, and the other goes in the bottom of our deck. It's a shame because we have to mill one of our cards down, but 
there are some cards in this deck that are more equal than others. And pulling the right one at the right time is absolutely something we want to do. He's just going to give us a free extra tactics card every turn. And again, as I explained, Ramsey's tactics cards and the Night's Watch cards that are useful to us are so useful that he is my first three points just kind of included in here. Now, I know a lot of you people are going to be going and looking like, but there's no Aemon in this list. You're right, because I don't care about healing, okay? If I'm playing standard Night's Watch, especially John, where like my whole shtick is going to be healing my guys back up from being dead, yeah, I will. I would absolutely run Aemon. This list is about killing my opponent and not just outlasting them. I would. This is the, very much the philosophy of the way I keep my guys safe is by making all the threats to them dead. So I just don't see a need for Aemon in this list. I mean, a lot of people are going, yeah, but Aemon can heal a unit all the way dead to all the way back up. Well, first off, no, he can't. That's the Wealth Zone and Aemon doing that, which your opponent will try to block, as we just talked about. But secondly, really, nothing in this list I care about that much, because if it gets down that low, it's probably going to get killed anyway. Ranger Hunters are pretty fragile, and if they get reduced down to one rank like that, and they get attacked again, they're just going to be gone. Bastards Girls, same situation. Scorpion Crews, if they see combat, they're just going to die. So that means that we're going to take Aemon because of two Sworn Brother units? No, I don't care enough for that. I've got other ways of keeping them alive, and frankly, I've got ways of pushing their damage up high enough where they should be able to remove any threats that come against them. So uh, I would actually prefer in this list, I would actually run Jor and a Watch Captain before I probably stick in... Amen. just given this style of list, but uh, even then, that's that's changing things around too much, and again, we're really struggling for points here as it is. Uh, that's an entirely different list, but so that's my thoughts there, because I know that's the first question people are going to go, is like, oh my god, no Amen. And again, he's great for healing. We're not doing healing in this list. So there we have it. This is a hyper-aggressive uh, list. Probably even the only one that comes a little close to bringing uh, the level of aggression that this list would have would be if you're running Ramsey in a Stark list. But the reason I like this list is specifically because of the Ranger Hunters and the Builder Scorpion crews. Whereas in a Stark-led Ramsey list, you're going to have some things like Great Axes or Umber Berserkers and a lot of choppy, killy melee units. This one here trades that for the range aspect of the Builder Scorpion crews. And because of that, it changes the playstyle fundamentally, where it changes it from you having to select your engagements and when to get into the enemy, to you being able to hang back and just force a lot of bad decisions into the enemy army. Because you've got a lot of long-range uh, units that you can just get into position, and then your opponent now has to figure out a way to deal with. So it kind of takes that decision out of your hands and forces it onto the opponent. And if they don't manage to pull their strategy together, or even better, don't have a good strategy, then you're just going to absolutely dominate them. So that's one of my favorite aspects of this list, and why this list in general is one of my favorite ones to run. So uh, let me know your thoughts below, and let me know what guys or what commanders or what combinations you guys want to see covered next time. So until then, take care.